they're making it a North Star to understand, like, are we giving equal airtime, equal questions? It had to do with the questions that the candidates were asking the interviewers. It's really hard to scale rate interviewing. There's an old folk tale I love. Now, there are many versions of it across lots of different cultures, but the essence goes something like this. There's a seaside village with three inseparable childhood friends, Kavi, Ravi, and Javi. But life takes them on their different unique paths. Kavi becomes a city merchant, Ravi a mountain healer, and Javi a ship captain. So fate intervenes when Kavi is unjustly imprisoned in some distant city, and he manages to send a paper bird through his prison cell, carrying a plea for help. On the other side of the world, Javi's ship has been destroyed after a storm, and he's on an island with no way to get home. But the little bird brings him the message, and discovering the message, he immediately discerns from the handwriting that it's from his childhood friend Kavi. Though uncertain on his path home, he crafts a raft, and guided by the message, actually finds Ravi over in the mountains who's uncovered a rare herb. Together, they go use the herb to address Kavi's plight and buy his freedom, and then uniting their diverse skills, return to the village triumphant, setting up a new trading route. The village celebrates. The story is often used to teach children the power of enduring friendships. And it's something I love. We have people who exist for a time, who are really deeply involved in our lives in lots of different ways. But there is something unique about the people who witness our evolution across stages. They may not know the most details, we may not spend the most time with them, but there's a unique interwovenness on the people who've been the longest, consistent parts of our stories. I love those friendships that transcend time. And I'm especially fascinated when those friendships get intertwined with entrepreneurship. Most co-founders don't possess that level of a shared history. They might share a previous work experience, they might even share mutual friends, but they rarely share a childhood and a hometown. Today, I'm excited to introduce two co-founders though who do just that, Teddy and Ben, childhood friends and co-founders of Bright Hire, a groundbreaking AI-powered interview intelligence platform. Now, Bright Hire is born of the belief that interviews are the bedrock of the hiring outcome. And Ben and Teddy's brainchild recognizes that today, for most people, that really important interview part runs absolutely blind with very little data on what is happening in them, the quality of it, and connection to the outcomes. Bright Hire offers real-time interview guidance, AI-powered notes, highlights and actionable insights that make interviews more efficient and elevate the caliber of the hiring team. So Ben is founder and CEO of Bright Hire with a long trajectory. He's had executive roles at a lot of venture-backed startups before this and brings that extensive experience to the table. Teddy, his co-founder, is also no stranger to HR tech, who is actually a pivotal figure at LinkedIn, where we both worked, full disclosure, where Teddy was a leader in the sales organization. And a little fun fact about Teddy, HR tech is a bit of a legacy in the Chestnut family. Both his parents actually were in the same field. Now, regular listeners of Venture Visionaries know that the realm of interview intelligence is something I believe is the next big thing. It is the cutting edge of recruiting technology. And I'm always excited to talk to the people who are at the forefront of the next evolution of our industry. And so in our conversation, we're going to explore the origin of the Bright Hire story, look at what the cost of the lack of rigor and transparency in the hiring process actually costs us, 
and then understand how we use AI to make big differences. We take some time to explore Ben and Teddy's unique co-founder relationship, the centrality of different stakeholders in building out your business, and how important it is to take a collaborative approach to building your startup, both within and without. Our conversation also touches on the challenges of juggling parenthood and family with entrepreneurship, offering an often honest and insightful take on what it takes to get that balance. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's Visionaries Adventure. As a founder of Bright Hire, I'm really curious about the story. Like what led you to recognize the need for a platform like this that would be all about transforming, I think, both the effectiveness and equity of hiring? Like what was the problem? What was the opportunity? How did it come about? Bright Hire was a combination of personal interests meeting personal experience. You know, I had a background in the people and HR space, was a labor relations major and worked for a really large publicly traded company that did best practice research with a huge focus on HR. And so I was really passionate about the people side of business from the beginning of my career and worked there as a researcher and then was doing product and strategy at that organization and just kind of like loved it. I always thought about careers as empowerment for individuals. And that was really inspiring to me. And then got into tech, became an operator, helped, you know, a few different B2B technology companies scale. That's just a really interesting lens on a couple of things. One, a startup is, it's so abundantly clear in a, in a small company, the impact that every individual has on that organization's success. It's all about the people. And that's just so clear when you're small. And it's still true in a big company, but it's just very obvious in a startup. And then in the, the role I had prior to Bright Hire, I was, you know, leading operations and finance and HR and talent at a company that was scaling. You know, I saw on the one hand the impact that every individual had on our success. It was like abundantly clear how, you know, we were only successful with the right strategy, but we need the right people to drive that strategy. And hiring is how we continually built the team. And so getting that right couldn't have been more important. You know, I think historically there is a big gap between the rigor and discipline around the hiring process and other mm. really important processes in organization. And so that was like observation one. And observation two was I was CFO. And uh, there was not a single place where we allocated more capital than into people. And probably the number one area where we invested net new capital every year was the hiring process, you know, making job offers and, and bringing people into the organization. And this level of rigor and scrutiny around those capital allocation decisions was very far, I think, in our organization, but in general and in every organization from the rigor and scrutiny around capital allocation decisions for much smaller and less strategically impactful things. And so mm -hmm. there's this aha moment that, you know, the hiring process is incredibly critical. It's critical to our success. It's critical to our, you know, financial allocation. The heart of that process is a series of conversations and decisions on the back of them and that drives every outcome. And it feels like that has not changed at all. And there's very little visibility into it. You know, I paid a lot of attention to the HR tech space in general, and there seemed to be a lot of innovation, but that innovation tended to be very concentrated on sort of in hiring and finding people, you know, finding the right candidates, which is very important. You know, you, you both worked at LinkedIn, so you know that better than anyone. But then what happens? Then there's this incredibly important part of this process that touches every candidate's experience, shapes every hiring outcome, is where the bulk of time and energy gets spent. And it felt like that was this unpulled lever to really transform the talent strategy of organizations, to transform the outcomes that they have and, and to transform the candidate experience. And so that was the kind of light bulb moment and brought that kind of observation to Teddy. And, you know, through conversations with Teddy, uh, who, who could share his own background, but is, you know, I spent a long time in this space, the solution kind of arrived out of, you know, first observing the problem. 
I'd love to to take you off of that and like jump to you, Teddy. Like, I just love to hear the story from your perspective when you get this call. It sounds like you guys knew each other from before. Like what was going through your head? From long before. (laughs) Yeah. What's going through your head? Did you always think of yourself as an entrepreneur? And this was the call you'd been waiting for? Was this coming? Like, I just love the personal evolution from like, I got a call from this guy I've known long before to like, hey, let's co-found a company. This was probably the, I don't know, the 10,000 and first business idea that Ben pitched me in the 30 years (laughs) that we knew each other. I hadn't known each other up to that point. When he came to me with this kind of problem statement, like, hey, hiring is, you know, is like the most important thing that companies do, but it seems like there isn't any rigor or visibility into how that job's done. I had just come out of a hiring process uh, as a hiring manager, leading a data analytics team, and I had to hire for a manager on that team. And I candidly felt pretty unprepared going into that process. And so I'd never written a line of code in my life, and I was now responsible for hiring a manager on that team. So I put together the best interview panel that I could think of, people who I really respected and and trusted and ran as rigorous a process as I could and recall being in a room debriefing on the candidates and getting feedback that felt, you know, best of intentions, but very shallow. Like, mm. you, know, you spent an hour with that candidate on my behalf and I really have no idea what happened in, mm. in that conversation. And so I had to make a call on what felt like very, very limited information. Mm. And so Ben, you know, came uh, to me with this problem statement. And so it resonated like very personally. And then it was just very apparent that there was a really clear technology solution to help solve that problem, you know, adapting the same kind of technology that was already being used in other parts of business, whether it was sales or uh, customer success or contact centers to illuminate what was happening in really important conversations and giving those teams the context to continuously improve. And it just seemed completely inevitable and abundantly clear mm-hmm. that that kind of solution applied to the interview and hiring process would create a tremendous amount of value. And I just couldn't shake that idea. And it felt like given my background, having spent you know six and a half years at LinkedIn and starting my career also at CEB doing HR research, that it was like the right fit for me. I wasn't like an entrepreneur as a kid, you know, chilling, you know, shovels and selling lemonade and <laughs> hustling. I, I honestly wasn't me, but this mm. was like the opportunity that I felt like I could, you know, play on my chips on and had the right yeah. to go kind of run at it with and felt really passionate about. And I couldn't stop thinking about that. And that's why I had to, had to run at it. Ben, I, I'm, I'm like actually curious. It's like, because it's clear that you're like an idea guy and like a visionary, right? And in some ways it's like, you were going to create a business of some kind and you have created many before. What is it, I think in general, that led you to believe that like you'd want a co-founder at all on this journey? And then like, why Teddy? So I would never refer to myself as a visionary. It's just categorically. I think I, to Teddy's point, always was sort of interested in, entrepreneurship, I guess. And I was the person selling lemonade, literally, and selling things out of my parents' attic up and down the street to our neighbors without permission. Didn't grow up in a in a business household, didn't know anything about tech. So I had to learn that. And then I realized that would be an interesting fit in terms of starting a company and, and knowing that I wanted a co-founder. And then, you know, Teddy, one, I've known Teddy for my entire life. And I couldn't think of a person that would be a more trustworthy sounding board, someone that I respected, someone that's, you know, it's really good to start companies with people that are much smarter than you. So that was like a pro tip for other folks. You know, that was a starting place. You know, Teddy is saying that didn't grow up as being that entrepreneurial mindset, but I worked on an entrepreneurial endeavor with Teddy before in a very different capacity. But, you know, when we were out of college and working at, you know, CEB, 
we were presented with an opportunity to help a, you know a couple of individuals get what was an investment fund off the ground focused on the media space and yeah. we going to our day jobs nearly 5 days a week for about a year going to another office from about 6 o'clock at night to about 10 o'clock at night every day and working on another business you know as essentially consultants and and you know ideally if this thing got off the ground potentially employees so one i'd seen teddy working literally every night with me above and beyond his role we collaborated it was really scrappy and entrepreneurial we were doing a bunch of you know stuff that you have to do when you try to get a business off the ground so it's not like i hadn't seen teddy and operated with him in that environment what surprised you on this journey early on? What didn't go the way you expected it to go? Why was it surprising? And are there any lessons learned that you'd want to pass on to aspiring entrepreneurs? I would say overwhelmingly, from my perspective, it's been an incredible net positive. Not everyone has afforded that uh, luxury. You can't just start a company with somebody you've known for 30 years. It's more complicated if you're not because you don't know those things about the individual and you know you will find out things that you know maybe surprise you to the positive and maybe maybe not and there's a lot more like you know you probably have to be measured in regards to reading into communication and those sorts of things where like we never have had to deal with any of that quite honestly like i there's no like i'm getting a message from teddy and i'm trying to figure out what he means or read between the lines in terms of you know what has surprised me it's probably more really practical and functional skills or things that i've seen demonstrated that there would be no reason for me to believe coming into the business would necessarily be there. Um, so things like, you know, Teddy is really diligent and creative in regards to product and like poking holes and pushing it and asking really mm. good questions and uncovering things and, you know, making suggestions where I'm like, another one of Teddy's like, there's no, just, we're not doing that. There's no way we're going to do that. But then I think about it, I'm like, that's actually really creative. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we could do that. The germination time on I see an idea to Ben thinks it's a good one is somewhere between two weeks and six months. Generally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what's been surprising along the way? It's funny. I've, I've actually lived in a couple and we both lived back in our hometown, right? My kids now go to school where Ben and I went to school. And so like I've had this experience in life of putting like layers on layers on layers in, in a mm. place. And putting like layers on layers on layers in, in a relationship like this is even a more rewarding experience than I had expected. You know, you go through mm. a lot of ups and downs building a company. I think the other thing is I had never worked in a company of this size. I, I'd worked in a consultancy that was very small, but that wasn't like a tech SaaS business with a product. And so the exposure for me to product and engineering and just like how tightly those teams work with go to market. You know, we were both at LinkedIn for some time. Like those worlds yeah. were so separate. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so invigorating. Yeah. It's so fun mm. uh, to have those lines of communication open all the time. And so I when one of the things that our first investor had been me do when we started the company was like draw this Venn diagram of like what's Ben gonna own and what's Teddy gonna own and what are we gonna own together? Mm. The reality is when you're in a small company and you're building and you're growing, there's so much overlap in the stuff that you do together. It's really wonderful. It's super fun. I can imagine it being super wonderful if you have the kind of trust and ease of communication that you guys are describing. And I think it's often what makes it hardest for a lot of other people about like being co-founders. You know, Teddy, you opened up with this idea of just like, how do we understand what is happening in these high value conversations? And how do you like arm a hiring manager? That part I think is really interesting. There's also this increasingly 
powerful part to what you guys are doing around interview insights, which is not just like, what do we learn about an individual hiring practice, but what does looking across kind of the multitude of data that we're generating across our interviews inform us on like trends that companies can take advantage of moving forward, et cetera. Like, I'm curious, I just love like some practical examples, both of like some of the core insights and core pieces of value that like every time you guys go in, you're like, right, hire is going to deliver this day one, day two, day three. And then maybe one or two other cool stories where it's like, we didn't expect to see that, but like, wow, like here's something that wasn't even on our radar um, that's happening. I will say out of the gate that Teddy had all the ideas on from an insights perspective before we had even had a lot of code written. So, you know, I would say that was probably as opposed to being something that was like revelatory that, you know, this was something that we could focus on and Teddy could speak to this. I think that was the thing that got him perhaps the most excited before mm-hmm. we even started the company based on his background at LinkedIn and having a role in the insights team where they have access to this really tremendous data set of everyone on LinkedIn and, you know, the mm-hmm. macroeconomics and career movement and all that. And so his wheels were turning, I think, pretty quickly in regards to what could be unlocked from these interviews and and what's possible. So I can talk a little bit about some of the areas that were, you know, sort of out of the gate available and part of the product and people Mm. acted on. There's a lot that we've done above and beyond that sometimes for in our product, sometimes just for, you know, for particular customers. And there's a lot more we can do going forward. You know, as a starting place, one of the product promises that we have is it's really hard to scale rate interviewing, but it couldn't be more consequential, right? That's the idea of this Mm. business, right? It impacts every outcome. And why is it so hard to scale? Great. Because there's a lot of people involved in this process, many Mm. of which don't do it every day. It's not their craft, but it's incredibly high stakes. And it's also really hard. So you combine people coming in and out of the process with something that's hard to be great at, you know, it's human and all that. And so how do we help an organization be consistently better? One of the ways that we can do that is through insight. And there's certain pillars upon which you'd build, like you'd say, you know, we're doing our job and we're being our best in regards to this process. Are we delivering a great can experience? Are we following the plan? And, you know, are we making good choices, right? I think generally, like if you're, if you're to say what makes a great interviewer, my, you know, my take is they deliver a great can experience. They've really put cans first and that's really at the fore. They follow the plan. Uh, so to speak, you know, they're doing, they're there to do a job for the organization. Are they able to make arrive at, at conclusions that are, that prove to be successful over time? And so we built metrics and analytics right away that gave visibility into the interview process that spoke to those pillars. And so I think right away, people were like, wow, this is, this data is really fascinating. And I'm seeing like huge disparities across my interview work base. I mean, I think that's hmm. one of the reasons, you know, that there's an opportunity is when you look at data that should be maybe not exactly consistent, but relatively consistent. And there's a huge variability in the metric. And we saw that right away. You know, you'd have a particular team and a particular role and even a particular stage. And the, you know, the the balance of the conversation, the way those conversations were being run across things like talk ratios and the number of questions asked and things of that nature would have, you know, incredible disparities. And so the right out mm-hmm. of the gate, flag, right? There's just mm-hmm. no version of us running an interview for a, for a specific role with a, at a specific stage and having a set of interviewers that are literally running that conversation completely differently and arriving mm-hmm. at consistent results or delivering for the candidate an experience that is fair. You don't have consistency. And so that was kind of the starting point. But also we're looking at things like we can see what's discussed. We can see topics. We can see themes. We can see patterns. And so that's where, you know, things got, you know, start to get really interesting and, and there's kind of more strategic value that we can unlock. Yeah. Anything else you'd add to that, Teddy? 
I mean, what, yeah, what Ben has described, I've always thought about is like holding up a mirror to our hiring process. Are we showing up in the way that we would hope to, that we believe yeah. is going to lead to the right outcomes? And I think that's incredibly important. Right? You can't improve what you can't see. There's another angle on like a really powerful set of insights that we can unlock, which is we're capturing a set of inputs that were previously impossible to see. Right? The inputs mm -hmm. otherwise would be what was, what was your scorecard feedback? What was your rating? Or what are elements that you can see on somebody's resume or their LinkedIn profile? Where, where did they work previously? Where did they go to school? Mm -hmm. And all those inputs, you know, you're trying to put together in a predictive way to outcomes. When people look like this, you know, they've been, they, they say these things, they've gone to those schools, they've worked at those companies, they end up being successful. Those are lots of heuristics that we would we should be avoiding, right? But we couldn't before we had visibility into the actual interview. So once you get visibility to the interview, now you can say, well, the people who've been successful that we've hired, what did we ask him? What did they actually say? How much time did we spend on certain topics? And you can have a really powerful lens into how to continually improve your hiring process to drive toward the most predictive outcomes. And we've done some really fascinating work with clients where things that I wouldn't have anticipated turned out to have really meaningful impact on candidate hmm. outcomes, like hiring outcomes. One great example was we were doing analysis for a client and there were multiple steps in their hiring process, you know, a screen and a hiring manager conversation and a role play. And so a lot of the emphasis was on what questions are we asking candidates and, and what are the qualities of their answers and what's coming up. And it turned out that a really interesting and predictive part of the hiring process had nothing to do with that at all. It had to do with the questions that the candidates were asking the interviewers. We tracked basically whether these candidates were successful. Like they got, they got hired and did they stick around with this company, you know, six months later, there was real strong consistency in those candidates who were successful and the kinds of questions that they were asking. Yeah. That wasn't part of this company's rubric. It wasn't part of their assessment plan, but mm -hmm. we were able to illuminate something for them that completely changed the way that they thought about evaluating candidates in this process and transformed the way that they actually created their interview rubric. That's mm -hmm. like a really amazing insight to deliver to a client to change the way that they think about how they evaluate talent. And, and ultimately, it's a benefit to those candidates. What's worse than leaving a company, joining a new one, realizing within six months that it's not the right fit and then being back on the market? That's actually a terrible outcome for a candidate. Mm -hmm. But to the extent mm -hmm. that we can help companies build more predictive processes that get the right candidates into the right roles, that's not just a benefit for those companies, mm -hmm. it's a massive benefit for candidates as well. And just to get some specific with some other examples to, you know, like, what is the data and how are people using yeah. it? Are we following the plan? Examples being, we have a particular stage of our interview process. Maybe it's a, there's a client I can think of it, you know, where we have a recruiter screen and there are certain things that we always want to be covering in that recruiter screen. They're really important from a candidate management perspective, from a data perspective and so on and so forth. And they're looking at right hire and able to track across certain topics, how often are the topics being covered? or not in that particular screen and mm. you know found a huge variation across the interviewers for that particular stage which is a big problem and mm. caused a lot of downstream issues another example we don't just bring the data to the table we give the ability to kind of look at that data based on inferred gender at an aggregate level to understand consistency as a, a lens on equity that never existed before you know you might look at the past rates but you, you couldn't mm. know folks were actually getting interviewed differently and lo and behold when we provide that data 
our clients are actually able to look at it. They're making it a North star to understand, like, are we giving equal airtime, equal questions and so on and so forth, regardless of candidate gender at a high level, it's a new North star that folks are tracking against. And then they're able to drill down really easily and see, you know, to the extent that there are disparities do those exist on certain teams for certain positions. Can we coach and train around that and make sure that, you know, we're showing up in a consistent way across all of our, our candidates. When you kind of come in with technology that like fundamentally doesn't just like make things faster, but like is a fundamental change on the job. The primary function of somebody managing the interview process with administrative. Did you get the people in there on time? Mm -hmm. Did you get them out? Do we have like data flowing through? And so on one hand, it's awesome that you've kind of like unlocked the power of what's happening in interviewing. I imagine on the other hand that it's like, Whose job is this now? Like, it's just like, it is so fundamentally different. I like wonder one, have you run into that challenge as you go in? And like, how have you seen clients or how do you coach clients into what I imagine is literally a rethink of like what the role of like managing interviews is, could be, and its strategic relationship to the business? We think of technology and the role that it plays in the hiring process as something that makes everyone better and more confident. There's a value of bright hire. I mean, it's sheer convenience, time saving. It frees people up to be focused on candidate. It's like day in and day out value that feels like a, a relief. And across the process, it puts, I'd say in particular, recruiters and hiring managers in just a fundamentally different place in terms of their ability to be successful. A recruiter is now no longer chasing and trying to figure out, you know, play clue and figure out what happened in that conversation, where we leave off and trying to orchestrate a great candidate experience without visibility because they know. And they're able to be a consultant to the process, a partner to their hiring managers in a way that was impossible for. Because then now they, they really understand candidates and they understand the conversations that have happened and they can help facilitate a decision-making process and frame the process uh, you know, of evaluating candidates and making decisions for the team in a way that was impossible for because they simply just didn't have the context, right? They weren't in those conversations. The best that they could do is kind of coordinate the people together and have everyone share their version of, of events. And that version may be incomplete or complete, but now they're just in a fundamentally different position. And so it is a new capability, but it's not a quick new capability that requires new work, right? It's a capability that shows up in the process that already exists and helps people just feel more confident and execute better. I don't know, Teddy, if there's other reflections that you would share. Yeah, I remember reading a great article about Figma, actually. And there was a quote along the lines of like, the, the best technology enable, enables a level of collaboration or a style of collaboration that was previously unimaginable. Hiring mm -hmm. is a team sport, as Ben described. Mm -hmm. You've got recruiters and hiring managers and interviewers all working to get to the right outcomes with candidates. And in one respect, Bright Hire enables a level of and a style of collaboration that was previously unthinkable. It's like mm -hmm. why people literally describe Bright Hire as a game changer in our G2 reviews. Like they, they get to play the game in a fundamentally different way than they could before. Like Ben said, we just kind of show up in the flow of work. So it actually is really easy to do that. But it's like, you can't imagine going back from, hey, I could share a set of interview clips with you and get your take on it really quickly, or I can make a really clean handoff, or I can follow up. And so it's been really fun to see those teams find just a completely new way of working together to get to, to great outcomes. When you think of a tool that touches this way, how do you go figuring out your sales motion in terms of getting in there? Like more generally in terms of lessons learned, who do you talk to first? You start with the people who own the process. That's the mm. talent acquisition leader. If the buck stops anywhere on, we are going to, as an organization, build, scale, and run at an excellent, 
efficient, equitable hiring process, mm. it ultimately stops with the talent acquisition leader. And so you go there first mm. and you go to then the people who are responsible for this job day in and day out, the recruiters on their team. And you ensure that you understand exactly what they're working on and how to create a tremendous amount of value for them, giving value to them, winning them over, making champions of them, solving their problems, unlocks your entry point to the rest of the organization, to the mm. sales leader, to the engineering leader, to those parts who are really important stakeholders to that team or really important partners to that team and who you need to work through in order to influence. Is there an example of like a tough decision you guys have to make where like it would have been so easy to do this or felt really lucrative, but like it wouldn't have been candidate first? What was it like to wrestle through with that decision? Did you even wrestle at all? It's really fun to deliver features that are wow, that are face of your users that are visible when you demo your product. We spent a lot of time and a lot of energy pretty early on orchestrating a bunch of work in from a product perspective to be able to facilitate things that were ultimately really important for being candidates first, presenting the right notifications to candidates, allowing them to opt out in the right way, allowing them to delete their data and request it, handling their data in a certain way. And so mm. categorically, like we spent a lot of money and a lot of time very early on building a whole infrastructure and a set of features that you know, no one would ever see in a demo, you know, mm. no, you know it would, you know, products you know, would, would never shine through on the UI, but we're ultimately just like incredibly important things to invest in and to facilitate because without it, what are we doing here? You know, our mission is to give everyone the hiring experience they deserve. It's kind of a meta example, but, you know, just like a commitment that we made and, and a lot of time and energy invested. Yeah, I don't know that I would add to that, honestly. Like there's, we're not in the same position of uh, a LinkedIn or a Facebook where like there's the possibility of like, okay, you go sell all this data. Like that's yeah. not, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really translate here. Like nobody's selling candidate data. It's really inspiring when I hear members of our, you know, CS team or our product team, you know, prepping for like a new feature that we're going to launch and figuring out how to, how we're going to demo it or how we're going to like, you know, show it to the world and, and thinking about the candidate as a stakeholder and how do we mm. respect privacy and uh, just that being a constant part of the, the conversation. I'm curious, what is like a recent example for you guys of wading through the darkness? What does it look like to do that? The version that you shared is great. I would also remind, you know, I would also play back that we've built this business in one of the most up and down volatile economic stretches of four years in memory. Plus a global pandemic. Well, yeah. So seven, <laughs> like we like finally, finally got our products, you know, to a place where we were like, this is okay. We feel comfortable asking people for money. And then there was a global pandemic where, you know, unemployment spiked to 20%. Is this a good use of our time? Like, you know, people at the time mm. were saying this pandemic and, you know, this recession could last for three years. Mm. And I was like, three years is a long time. You know, are, are, are we going to have 20% unemployment for the next three years? We had a, an economic pullback in the middle of last year. There has been a lot of up and downs from a macroeconomic perspective during that time mm. period that were very secularly, our industry in particular was very impacted, you know, in, mm. in way. And look, there was a there was a very beneficial and, and high growth period there as well. 
But, you know, the experience of waiting through the dark at both a macro and a micro level happens all the time. I think it's the nature of entrepreneurship. So, you know, lest you think that this is always a smooth journey, you know, it's not. You know, we both have little kids. One of the kind of jokes that we've come up with back and forth, every time something like this comes up, we sing our kids like people on the bus go up and down. And we like every time something happens where it's really good or really bad. One of us will say, you know, the people on the gusts go up and down. And that's kind of just our way of like, it happens. Mm. And I think that's one of the muscles of entrepreneurship is you just get very accustomed to, you know, swings in every direction and kind of having to like roll with the punches and sort of move on. Happens all the time. Uh, I would say one one of the most valuable learnings for me along the way, there'll be lots of moments when you're waiting through the dark, there are a lot of other people who have a flashlight and Mm. the group of investors and advisors and clients that we've been able to call on along the way uh, has been just invaluable. Mm. You're always in a situation that you've never been in before, but somebody else has been, you know, whether that's like, Hey, we have an amazing client who literally stopped hiring altogether, but we want to do right by like, would you keep them up and running for a dollar? And like Ben and I could debate that, or we like get to make a phone call to, you know, one of our investors who confronted that question a thousand times and has like mm. an immediate and incredibly valuable perspective in a 35 second phone call. That mm. has been really, really amazing. Families come up a lot in this conversation. You guys live in your hometown. You sing nursery rhymes to each other, but clearly <laughs> your kids and your spouses are a big part of your lives. Probably in a bigger way, actually, than I hear from most founders, to be honest. I'm curious how you think about navigating parenthood, family, and running your business, and really any tips on that you'd share with listeners on, on figuring out what that right balance is for you. First and foremost, I had a very transparent conversation with my spouse before moving forward, you know, because it's mm. not your decision. You know, it's a family decision. The journey of entrepreneurship truly impacts them every single day of the week, as much as it's impacting you, if not more. And so the first piece was, this is going to be really hard. There will be lots of up and downs. This isn't, you know, a Netflix show. You know, this isn't, you know, just a, <laughs> like, is that okay? Basically give a realistic job preview to, you mm. know, it's going to mm. be part of the journey. I'd say the part that has been really important is my two and a half year old and my five year old didn't sign that pact, <laughs> right? Mm. Like and not born. So, <laughs> you know, that's sacrosanct. Like they're, you know, mm. I can't not be there for them in the way that they need me to be. And so mm. I had to, re, you know, kind of design my life around the ability to do that because, mm. you know, they didn't, they didn't make that choice. I made that choice. Funny, I had like the uh, opposite experience of Ben where like I didn't have prior startup experience, but my wife uh, actually changed jobs. Like just as Ben and I were kind of spinning this up, she went from an HR tech startup where she had been for a year and she had been at a cybersecurity startup before that and then went to like a big company. Uh, mm. So she was giving me the scared stiff. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, trust me, you don't know what you're signing yourself up for. This is going to be crazy. <laughs> and, you know, the reality is like the the, the most important advice is marry somebody who has infinite patience and who loves you and believes in you and supports you. My my kids are a little bit older 
than Ben's. They certainly, you know, didn't sign up for this. Uh, I think that's a really great point. But I've just tried to like, I don't know, in some respects, bring them along for the journey, like create mm-hmm. exposure and you know, pandemic. We were working from home a lot. So just like helping them try to understand that what I'm trying to do is like build something in the world that didn't exist before. Uh, mm-hmm. And that that's like a really important thing for me. And I'm doing it because the mission that we've created at Bright Hire to give everyone the, ex- the hiring experience they deserve, while they don't really understand what that means, is something that is beyond just commercial that I feel really passionate about. There isn't like separation of church and state. It's not like work and life. You're an entrepreneur. You mm-hmm. do that just work and life blend. And again, in the pandemic, I think everybody felt that. So just trying to make make those overlaps meaningful, I think is really valuable. I love the reality of like, you're not going to be able to do this alone. And the wisdom with which your village kind of stands with you feels like it reflects the wisdom with which you banded together as a village to build this. So thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your stories and, and the story of Bright Hire. It's that time again, friends. We're going to dive into spoken stories, a recurring segment where we hear from the people who work behind the scenes to make something happen. I was really excited to get to know some of the folks at Bright Hire who keep the engine running. And my question to them was simple. Why Bright Hire? What got them most excited? Here's what they had to say. Hey, I'm Morgan. I'm on the product team at Bright Hire. And the thing that gets me most excited about working at Bright Hire is just the kinds of problems that we're solving for our clients and end users. These are real human problems that happen every day throughout the hiring and interviewing process. And the impact we've been able to make so far and the impact that we're going to make in the future is really what continues to drive me here. I'm Mary Kate Bailey, and I'm on the customer success team here at Bright Hire. And what gets me most excited about this work is as a true talent acquisition nerd, I get to be on the front line of a change in the industry from what is currently an innovative way to run your interview process to what I think sooner than later is going to be the norm in the TA space. And I get to do that with my fellow Brighties, who are some of the most intellectually generous, curious, authentic, and fun people. Hi, I'm Jen Steinker. I'm the customer support manager. The thing that gets me most excited about working for Bright Hire is acting as our voice of the customer. When I receive feedback from our customers in the queue, I get to share that feedback with our product and engineering team. And when their feedback gets turned into an actual feature, I get to circle back with them and close the loop and share the good news that it's now a feature. As we close out this week, I'm struck by the power of Teddy and Ben's childhood friendship. And not just the venture, but the life and community that have sprung from it because they just showed up for each other and kept showing up. And so I hope today that you think of a friend who means something to you and you can make the choice, however small, to show up for them and maybe open the door just a little bit for them to show up for you. It's worth it probably more worth it than you know. As always, I'm Thomas. I'll see you soon.